happy you're here. Uh, we're here in a conversation, wrapping up a conversation in Ephesians. And for the last several weeks, we've been in this conversation called Ready, where we've been recognizing this, uh, this reality that we're in a battle of fights. Uh, we have an enemy, a real and present enemy, and, uh, and yet Paul has said that you're not defenseless. He's reminding us through Ephesians 6 that uh, we have uh, the armor of God. And, and first and foremost, in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so we've talked about truth, and we've talked about righteousness, and we've talked about uh, peace and faith and salvation. And last week we talked about uh, the sword of the spear. We talked about God's word. And so we've been talking about uh, our defense, and we've talked about our armor, and we talked about our weapon. And, and Paul, then in the latter part of chapter 6, he turns his attention towards a different way of fighting. It's not a way that we necessarily uh, comprehend in our earthly mind. It's not a way that's, you know, hand-to-hand or with some form of physical weapon. But Paul begins to turn our attention towards prayer. And after describing the pieces of the armor of God, and, and Paul begins to add the most important part of our battle plan, which is communication with our Creator. This is not just a piece of spiritual armor, but it is uh, an essential part of us winning this war against the enemy. Paul is reminding us that if you're going to fight in this battle, and if you're not going to fight, then, you know, you're just going to lose automatically. We, we prepare, we win or lose every battle in our minds well before we begin. And so we have to have the mindset that we're going to be overcomers, we're going to be victorious. Once we've determined that that's uh, the end goal for us, we're going to be determined to be victorious, we then have to understand that prayer connects us to the power of God, which is essential in defeating the enemy. That prayer is uh, essential because communication in any battle is vital. If you can imagine fighting in a war uh, with other people and, and having no communication with your other soldiers, no communication with the commander, you haven't gotten instructions, you don't know where to go, what to do, you don't even know if the war's over. Communication is essential. And a lot of us have kind of been thrust into the battle, we're kind of haphazardly putting on some armor, and we have zero communication with our commander, and so we don't know what's expected. We don't know where we should go and what we should do, and this is especially true when it comes to our souls and our spiritual fight. We need to have constant communication with God in order to uh, fight effectively. And Paul is reminding us that there's an enemy, a real and present enemy. And I feel like in our feel-good society with safety nets and, and, and good security, we have been brainwashed to believe that there's no one coming for you. There's no one after you. There's no real and present danger in our lives. There are times and periods in human history where we have all kind of, not all of us, but we've kind of been through like Cold War. I didn't go through that. But there was this present like Russia's after you and I've been through like North Korea's after you. And, and there's moments where we go through that in our lives, but we start to slide out of that. And, and, and this current generation doesn't understand that there's a real and present danger available to us. And a lot of us, we become comfortable and forget that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And the difference maker for us is whether or not we're going to recognize this. The first step to uh, overcoming and being victorious is to recognize this. There's a force working against you. The second step is to prepare accordingly. We've got to be ready to face the enemy, and Paul's been working us through that. The warrior who wins battles is the one who's resolved to, to fight and to conquer or die. And we've got to choose. We're going to fight 
and win or die, but we're going to go out with a bang. Step three is to fight, to engage in the battle. And, and, and it's not the armor that makes the warrior, but it's the character. And I believe Paul is describing all of this armor, and then he moves us into character-forming, discipline-creating prayer to help us understand that you can have all the armor, but not know what to do with it. Imagine handing a suit of armor and a sword to a child who's not trained, not skilled. Not, they're going to be overcome in battle. A lot of us spiritually have become that child who doesn't understand. We haven't been training. We're not uh, prepared or, or ready. We just know we have these things, but we don't know what to do with them. And the Spartan warriors, uh, arguably some of the greatest warriors in human history, were the first to be a professional army. They were the first in the world to be hired to train and to prepare and to fight. Up until that point, it had been farmers who uh, would occasionally come and train, or it had been people taking arms when necessary. But the Spartans decided that this was important enough to train their warriors on a regular basis, daily basis. It was a job. They clocked in and clocked out. From the moment a child was born, he was taught uh, to fight and to defend himself. And the older he got, the, the greater the weapons and the greater the warrior was formed and, and carved out and created. And a lot of us look at our faith more as a hobby than we do a career. A lot of us look at engaging the enemy more as a pastime than we do as a lifestyle. And I think a lot of us get caught off guard because we're not prepared. For you and I, we've been given the armor, but are we actually training to utilize it? Are we training to fight the enemy in front of us? See, it's training and preparation and discipline that makes a difference for you and I. And a lot of us, we want the discipline, we don't want the work. And Ephesians 6 says, pray at all times in the Spirit. With every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. That it's not lost on me that Paul turns from all of this battle talk and fighting and armor and preparation and, and there's an enemy that you can't see and you've got to be ready to take a stand and, 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 work and fight in, your, in the strength of the Lord. And, and then he turns it towards prayer as preparation. Prayer is ultimately how we fight our battles. And there's a direct correlation between our prayer life and our victories. That God does all things in answer to prayer. And the Bible says many of us have not. Why? Because we ask not. We have not because we ask not, the Bible says. And it's because all things are done in answer to prayer. And many of us, we don't engage in the power of prayer. And we're lacking. We're missing out. And prayer is not just a weapon to change our circumstances. But prayer more often changes us. See, a lot of times we utilize prayer to try to alter the people around us and alter our circumstances. And I want more money and I want an easier job and I want a more beautiful life and I want less problems. And we pray for all these exterior things. But more often than not, what God does through the power of prayer is he changes our hearts. He changes our perspective. He changes the way we view our circumstances. And when we cut off prayer, we're only able to see our circumstances in the human way. We don't see what God is doing, what he's forming, what he's shaping, how he's working. That prayer is not merely a way to get things from God, but it's a way to get to know God even better. And to fail to pray is not merely to fail to do some religious duty. It's actually a failure to treat God as God. That if he is holy and he is uh, mighty, then he is someone we should desire to communicate with. And Paul says you've got to pray 
He says at all times, there's a great deal of things that we allow in our lives to cause us to feel busy. And all of us right now can list the hundred things we've had to do this week. And all of us can list a hundred things we have to do next week. And, and I pull out my calendar every Sunday night and I'm like, okay, who's on first? Who's on second? Who's on third? Who's taking this person there? And how are we going to ma- get all, everybody where they're supposed to be and everything go as planned? And then, then there's dinner every night. No one told us when we had kids that we were going to have to prepare dinner every night for all of them. It's exhausting. And there's a lot of excuses for us. And they're valid by and large. The problem is much of what causes us to to feel busy doesn't actually offer us long-term benefits. And a lot of the things that we engage in that occupy our our headspace and our time and our uh, emotional capacity and and really our physical capacity don't bring us long-term joy or long-term happiness. And what happens is we spend the best part of our time and the best of our energy doing things that do not help us long-term but inevitably drain us, and then prayer gets what's left over. And I believe God is inviting you and I into an activity that actually brings life and healing to our souls. Because prayer is preparing. Prayer is preparation for what's ahead. And in Colossians 4, 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Once again, we're reminded We've got to stay alert in it. We've got to devote ourselves to it. See, the idea that we devote ourselves to prayer, not prayer when we think about it, not prayer when we need something, not just when we need something, but actually looking at a prayer life that is out of devotion. See, I believe we're all devoted to some things. We're all devoted to some stuff. I don't know what you're devoted to. Maybe it's gardening or uh, I think we're all probably devoted to our phones more than necessary. But we're all devoted to something. Devotion meaning where you spend your time and, and your energy, where the best of your resources go. We're all devoted to something or multiple things. And a lot of us, we, we gather more things that create our devotion or, or demand our devotion. And so we end up bringing on more than we should. And we take on more than we should because uh, we, we, we believe in ourselves and we want to do. And, and a lot of those things are wholesome and healthy, we think. But over time, they're draining us. And if we're not putting time and attention into the one thing that empowers us the most, that keeps us connected to the source, that gives us our, our, our power to move forward and our direction to move in the right way, then we get sidetracked. See, when I come out of my driveway, um, I take a left to take my kids to school. And I take a right to go to work. And so in the mornings, I have to intentionally remind myself, what are we doing today? We're going to take a right. All right, we're going to work. This is the direction. Uh, but today I took the wrong turn because all week I've been taking kids to school. And so left has just been natural. And I don't realize it until I'm right at the end of the street. And it's uh, Lynch Road, I suppose. Or uh, I don't know what road. Yeah, it's Lynch Road. And I get there and I'm like, wrong way. Wrong way. See, some of us, we turn the wrong way, and we go way too far down the wrong way before we realize we're going the wrong way. And then we're so stubborn, we say, oh, I'm just going to stay with this way, and then that way becomes the only way. And a lot of us need to stop. Recommune with God. Reconnect. Rediscover why we chose Christ to begin with. And then decide if the path that we're on or going on is the path that God has for us. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer has to be something we intentionally spend time in. And so today I want to build a strong and compelling argument that prayer is essential. Now, if you've spent any amount of time in church, you go, yeah, I know. Prayer is essential. 
It's what you're supposed to talk about in church. It's what we do a couple of times, and uh, we all know this cognitively, but we don't all operate as if prayer is actually essential. And what Paul is saying is, pray at all times. This command to pray at all times implores us to be disciplined. How do we train to prepare to fight? How do we move from fighting the enemy being a hobby to our lifestyle? We devote ourselves to prayer, meaning we pray at all times. Now, I understand praying when I'm in trouble. In fact, I get this one really, I get this one right every time. I, I pray when I'm in trouble, right? When I need something or when problems arise or even when I get the hint that something might go wrong, I go, all right, it's time to pray. And God loves to hear from me, but Paul's command to pray at all times comes on the heels of his warning that there's an enemy that we can't see. There's an enemy that's moving around that desires to destroy us and we don't know when it'll attack. Praying at all times is preparation, it's devotion in being prepared and being ready. The enemy doesn't sleep, the enemy doesn't stop, the enemy comes in often like a flood and when we're least expecting it. Praying at all times is our preparation to be ready. Our ability to be disciplined followers of Christ will actually determine the outcome of every battle we face. Are we disciplined in our faith, in prayer, that when our lives are going smoothly and our truest treasures are nice and safe. Prayer often becomes something we put on the back burner. If you forget God is there, you won't talk to him. And when we don't focus on God's presence, we don't pray. And we end up fighting alone and often without our armor. And if you're in this room and you're like, oh man, that's me. This morning I had a couple people pull me aside and go, hey, you were talking to me. And I go, I know. No, I didn't. I don't know. The idea, though, is that we all struggle with prayer. Every one of us. Statistically, 50% of people who claim to follow Christ do not pray regularly. So we could divide the room in half. I won't say which half, but 50% of us are not fulfilling our responsibility. And if this side of the room was that 50, I would be on that side. I struggle. I struggle to be fervent in prayer, to be disciplined in prayer. I'm really good, though, at doing things for God. And often I catch myself, I, I write often, um, and I catch myself getting caught up in the process of doing things that I'm supposed to do for my job. And I forget that we actually have a responsibility to communicate with the one who guides and directs. And a lot of us are the same way. You get so caught up in doing things, maybe even things for God, that you forget why you're doing them. That prayer is often the third or fourth or fifth thing that we do. When all of this is done, I'll get to this. But what does it look like for us to shift prayer to the front? For us to begin to be more mindful. See, it's easy for us to be mindful when uh, something comes up that causes us fear or worry or anxiety. It's easy to be reminded when something goes wrong. And, and we may forget to pray, but here's what's interesting is that I never forget to worry. Right? I never forget to have anxiety. I never forget to have fear. Those things I remind, I'm reminded of very often. And so what I'm trying to be more mindful of is I'm trying to allow worry to be a trigger to pray. Worry is often a trigger for other feelings. But I'm trying to get worry, trying to condition myself, and I'm inviting you to do the same, to where we allow worry or anxiety or fear or whatever emotion you may feel to be a trigger to pray because if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to cause us fear or anxiety or, or, or to be that record that plays over and over in our head, then it's big enough to take before the Lord. 
In fact, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. And that can be large or small, and a lot of times we only want to take the big things to God, but some of us right now, whatever's on your mind, it should be on God's heart. So you might be thinking what you're going to have for lunch later. You might already be game planning. I'm a planner. I'm trying to figure it out now. There's something, you know, thawing out in the sink because you can't get caught off guard when it comes to food. And so uh, we're thinking ahead, and you might be thinking ahead. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Take it to God. God, you know what's on my mind right now. God, find some way to take my time in preparing a meal to be a blessing to you. If I'm out eating, can I find someone? Can you put someone in my path that I can be a blessing to? Can we pray for someone while we're out? Can we create an opportunity to, to, to show Christ? What, whatever's on your minds ends up being the thing that we pray about. And it's not that prayer isn't about asking for things, because it certainly is. But when we no longer seek God for his blessings, we free up time to actually seek God for himself. I think we view God as a coffee pot so often. A coffee pot really has one job. It's to make coffee. Or ramen if you're in college, but that's behind the point. Uh, The idea is that it makes coffee. That's the point of it. And often we see that God's point is to do what we need him to do, to take care of us, to give us things. And that's only one aspect of what God wants to do. But he wants to open up our eyes to the reality that he desires consistent communication with us. Prayer is our way of entering into the happiness of God himself. We can seek God not just for what he can do for us, but actually for who he is. And for many of us, God hasn't become our happiness. The things that we devote ourselves to often are the things that we feel like bring us happiness If God has not become our happiness, then therefore we don't seek God any longer only to reinforce our happiness. Oh, I'm not happy now because this didn't happen, so I need God to do this, so I'm happy. But if we recognize that God is our source of joy, he is our source of peace, he is our happiness, then we can seek God for who he is. And before we ask anything, we should know that we already have all we need in him. And a lot of us, myself included, lose sight of that reality, that we already have all that we need in Christ, that prayer is like a physical workout for the brain. And prayer literally shapes and changes the human brain. I just uh, finished a book not long ago called uh, How God Changes Your Brain. And uh, I recommend it if you're interested. Uh, it's, a, it's a couple of guys who met up with their, I think one was a physician. They met up with some neurologists, and, uh, and they studied the human brain. They hooked uh, people up to uh, machines and an MRI, and they literally studied the human brain. And, and they went into this study trying to see if faith and, uh, and prayer and, and meditation in Christ actually does anything uh, physically that can be measured. And what was fascinating is that they found that praying silently actually affected the brain in one way, while praying audibly affected the brain in another way. But both were measurably affected. They found that prayer actually changes the chemistry of the human brain. They said that if you can pray 12 minutes focused prayer for eight weeks in a row, it will actually change the chemistry of the brain in a way that can be measured on a brain scan. This is fascinating that we have the capacity to literally change the measured portions of our brain, not just, oh, I feel better and I look better and I'm less anxious, but it actually will change the chemistry of the brain that can be regulated and shown to reduce anxiety, to reduce the fight or flight, to help us walk in peace. That prayer is choosing to trust in the promises of God and to rely on him for who he is. 
And if we can do that on a regular basis, 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, it would actually change the chemistry of our brains. That this is how we fight all of our battles. We take them before the Lord. We go to God on, say, God, I'm carrying this weight. God, I've picked up this burden, and, and it's not mine to carry, and so I'm going to lay it at your feet. But this is not just any prayer. This is actually described as prayer in the Spirit. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. This key word, in the Spirit, is essential to you and I. That it's not just regular prayer, but it's actually prayer in the Spirit. Because there are times, many, many times, that I'm at the end of my rope. I don't have energy, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the desire to pray, I don't even have the mental strength to muster up some kind of a like mental prayer. And it's at that point that if I will allow it, the Holy Spirit will take over. Paul says pray at all times in the Spirit. That prayer must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit enables us to pray more effective prayers, more adequate prayers, more targeted prayers. This phrase does not mean to pray in one's heart, but to pray under the influence of the Spirit. That we need the Holy Spirit's assistance in our prayers. Romans 8.26 says in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. In the same way, the Spirit joins to help in our weakness. Are you weak this morning? I am. I'm just a little weak, though. I'm not super weak. I've been weaker, but I'm weak. And it's in those weak moments that the Holy Spirit desires to come in and to be our strength. We don't pray in our own strength. We don't fight in our own ability. But God has given us strength that's beyond ours, and he brings us power when we're at our weakest. In fact, we know that God is made perfect in our weakness, that we're actually made strong if we'll admit our weakness. That we don't pray in our own strength or pray when we have strength. And I think the misnomer so often is that we think that we have to have the capacity or the strength or the heart condition or the right mindset to pray, but strength does not precede prayer. Prayer actually precedes strength. So when you're at your weakest, allow the Holy Spirit to pray on your behalf, to intercede for you so that you may be made strong. That the Holy Spirit actually advocates on your behalf. That the Holy Spirit is praying for you. That whenever you are weak, allow God to be your strength. And so maybe you're a parent and you're at your wit's end. Maybe there's a sin that just feels overwhelming and you can't overcome it or a deficiency that you can't work through. Maybe there's a temptation that seems too great. Allow the Holy Spirit to pray, to intercede on your behalf with unspoken groanings. But so many times we don't know what to pray. And Paul says, the Spirit himself is praying on your behalf. Can we just contemplate for just a second how powerful that is? That we have communication with the creator of the universe. God Almighty desires to hear from us and speaks back. And the Holy Spirit, which was present in Genesis, hovering over the waters at creation, is praying on your behalf. That the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. He intercedes with unspoken groanings. A single groaning before God is more powerful than the most articulate prayer that we could pray. That the Holy Spirit is 
advocating for you, those thoughts, those feelings we simply can't express in human words, those groanings the Holy Spirit is advocating for us. He's interceding for you. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God. And so when we don't know what to pray for, if you've been in those moments, I don't know if I should go this direction or that direction. I don't know if I should pray for this or that. I don't know if I should, you know, pray for this job or that job or for this person to be, whatever. The Holy Spirit wants to take over and wants to advocate on our behalf and to intercede for us. And Paul says we take every request to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says stay alert in it. The third thing he's reminding us to do or imploring us to take part in is to stay alert and to be aware, to not lose focus. In Ephesians 6, it says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this. But it's not any alertness. He's actually saying, be alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. That we stay alert and persevere in prayer. Uh, This is where I find myself being very weak, and I've got a lot of room to grow. When I'm praying, five minutes feels like an eternity. I'm like, oh, I'm done. Oh, that was five minutes. I have a hard time persevering. And often I wonder if the answer to my prayer or the breakthrough that I'm seeking doesn't lie just beyond my ability to quit. Not in like a mean, like carrot on a stick sort of way. But maybe God is wanting me to push through and persevere in my prayer. And Paul doesn't just encourage us to pray. But he invites us to actually advocate on behalf of one another. That we have the opportunity to speak to God Almighty. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, why not advocate on behalf of one another? Why not use this opportunity in prayer to petition God on behalf of those that we're in community with? That this is the act of intervention, the act of stepping in the gap to to stand up and to pray for others, that we can petition God on behalf of someone else. In Ephesians 6.19, Paul is saying, pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mysteries of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. We have the opportunity to speak to God and to invite God to do the miraculous. So why not petition him on behalf of one another? This is part of being in community with one another. That we have an opportunity and a responsibility to lift one another up. But here's what I see in this passage from Paul. I mean, Paul's a giant of the faith. Much of the scriptures have been attributed to him. Uh, he's weathered a lot of really bad stuff. And, and, and like if anyone needed prayer, you would think it would not have been Paul. And yet Paul in this moment is admitting his weakness. He's saying, pray for me that when I open my mouth, I could speak with boldness the mysteries of the gospel. He's admitting that he doesn't always feel bold. He's admitting that he doesn't always feel like he can articulate the gospel with clarity. See, I think some of the reason why we don't intercede on behalf of one another is because we're not honest with each other. We're not honest in community with our struggles and our weaknesses. Paul's admitting here that he needs prayer from others. Now, I'm sure Paul's praying for himself. See, a lot of times we think we pray for people who can't pray or don't know to pray, right? We pray for the lost and the sinner and the hurt, and we do. But Paul, he he knows to pray for himself, but he needs your prayers. I know to pray for myself, but I need your prayers. You know to pray for yourself, but you need the prayers of community. And if we'll be honest and we'll admit our weaknesses... And we'll be willing to go to one another and go, I I need help in this area. Can you pray for me? Can you intercede on behalf of my need? We'll start to see that our community gets stronger. I mean, what would it look like if 
all of us in this church committed to praying for one another this week? What would it look like if all the churches in our community committed to praying for our community? What does it look like when we all start to take prayer serious and we intercede on behalf of one another and we start to strengthen one another and we start to get stronger as communities of faith and our city begins to shape and change just like the human brain can be shaped and changed by prayer. We can start to see the, the, the makeup of our city change. Crime may change and, and people's needs start to shift and we see things happen that we didn't think was possible when we actually begin to work together and we lift one another up through prayer. But it takes us being honest that the idea of praying for other people is deeply rooted in God's desire that all people come to know him. And walking with God is not a solo activity. It's a journey that we go on together. We do this together, you and I, and we need to become conduits for those who don't know Christ, but we also need to petition God on behalf of each other because we're all weak in certain areas. We need to be better about praying. I'm pretty good about saying I'll pray. Right? Somebody's, oh, I got this thing. I'll pray for you. Right? Because that feels like the right thing to say. Not just pastoral thing, but that just feels like the Christian thing. I'll pray for you. However, I forget pretty quickly. What does it look like for us to be people who go, let's pray right now. Oh, you have this need, or, or oh, you're complaining about this. Why don't we just take it before God right here? We're in the grocery store, we're in a coffee shop, we're in the parking lot. Why don't we just go before God? It doesn't have to be an elaborate prayer. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak with unspoken groanings. Let's just, let's just invite God into this situation. What does it look like for us to not be good at th thoughts and prayers, but actually be savants at praying? I'm going to take care of this need now. I'm not going to wait until later. Let's pray. We're going to immerse ourselves in intercession, actively looking for ways and opportunities that we can pray for one another. That praying for others is not simply sympathy. It may start with sympathy, but it moves from empathy, from sympathy into empathy, where you may feel sorry for something or someone, but that's not enough to motivate us. See, a lot of times we pray for change, and we hope it happens, and we move on. But if we're going to immerse ourselves in praying alongside one another, we're going to be committed long term. So when Jay had back surgery, we prayed. We still pray. We prayed this morning in first service because we're not just praying and hope it gets done and move on, but we're going to see it through. My father-in-law had a stepfather-in-law, doesn't matter, had a, heart, a car wreck, and, uh, and he hasn't been here in quite a while. It was a bad wreck. Everybody thinks, let's pray. It's bad. You know, uh, let's pray. But we are going to be people who don't just pray that things get patched up, but we're committed we're going to keep praying until he's back in his seat here again and walking again and everything's been made whole again. See, a lot of us want to pray out of convenience, get people away, move on. But what does it look like for us to actually journey with people through their worst moments, praying until things have been fully restored? See, what I know about the people in this room is that we're all broken in some capacity. And God's desire is to make us whole and well, but it's not just for us to be whole and well. We then have a responsibility to go out and find more broken people and point them to a God who wants to make all things new. And we do this through the power of prayer, through intercession, through working together, petitioning God on behalf of one another. And when we do this, our church starts to change. Maybe grow, maybe not, but it changes for the better. Our city starts to change for the better. And God starts to be glorified. He gets to be made known. He gets all the credit and the glory. And in Philippians 4, it says, don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and mind 
in Christ Jesus. He says, don't worry about anything. Well, that's easy for him to say. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He says, put it all on, on God. See, I've been challenged myself to take a box, a tissue box, shoe box. Uh, probably needs to be a, a giant box, but I've been challenged myself to take a box and put the word God on it and put some cards beside it. And every time I worry about something, to write what I'm worried about on it, say a prayer, say, God, this is yours. I'm giving it to you and drop it in the box. And then every time I choose to worry about it again, I have to go in that box, get it, take it out and go, God, I don't trust you with this. I'm going to hold on to it for now. Right? And this physical activity of placing your concerns in the box, but then taking them back out when you find yourself going over and over and over again in your head about it, taking it back out physically reminds us of how so many of us operate and live. We live like, God, this is yours. Take it. I'm praying, petitioning you. And then we go, no, no, no. I think I'm going to choose to worry about that. See, I feel like a lot of us trust God to a point. And God is inviting us to trust him wholeheartedly. But we trust him in community. Everybody in this room, uh, there was a white card sitting around. If you would go ahead and take this white card out. One side has lines, the other one doesn't. It's a note card. I want to invite you. No obligation, but I want to invite you to write down a couple of your concerns. Just write down a couple of the things that are uh, plaguing you, that are causing you worry or fear or stress, anxiety. Write down a couple of the things that, that you need God to do. It's an out outright prayer request. God, I'm hurting. I'm sick. I'm, I'm in need of this or whatever that is. You can shorthand however you want to do it. Don't put your name on it. But what I'm going to invite you to do before we leave here today is I'm going to invite you to take your card with all of your needs with all of your weaknesses, with all of your shortcomings, with all the things you need God to do in your life. I'm going to invite you to take your card and I'm going to invite you to hand it to somebody else in community with you. It could be somebody you know. It could be a complete stranger. But I'm going to invite you to hand it to someone. Again, you don't have to put your name on it. But in doing this, what's going to happen is two things. One, we're going to exercise our faith and trust in community, and we're going to exercise and walk in our trust that we can admit that we're not perfect, that all of us struggle in some capacity or another. The other thing it's going to do is, as a community member receiving one of these cards is, it's going to remind us of our responsibility to pray, not just for ourselves, not just when things are broken, but to pray for others. Now, this is a huge exercise in faith. And if you don't want to participate, there will be no guilt or shame or condemnation. But before you write, I want you to know what the expectation is for you and for me, is that we're going to do this together. And then I'm going to invite those of you who receive cards. You don't receive any, don't feel bad. Pray for us anyway. But if you receive cards, what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to take it this week. And I want you to pray. We're not going to put it on Facebook. Nobody gets to Instagram the pictures or any of that stuff. But we're going to trust one another with our needs. And we're going to pray for one another as often as we think about it. So you can set that in the, the bathroom mirror. You can set it by your car keys or uh, in your window dash or whatever. And as often as we think of those people in community with us, we're going to pray this week. And we're going to ask God to do the miraculous. See, our job is to pray. God's job is to deliver on those requests. So we make our requests known to him. And so we're going to spend just a few moments as Taylor comes up, and we're going to take a second. And I want to give you just some time to go ahead and, and write down those things that, that may come up to mind for you first. And then in just a moment, we'll transition. But I want you to go ahead and just take a second and say, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? 
Maybe it's a discipline you want to create in your life. Let's place these things down on paper. There's a a very powerful act of, of merely writing them down, getting them off of our minds, putting them down on paper. And then there's this beautiful spiritual act of transferring that responsibility or sharing in that responsibility with others. So let's spend some time doing that before we move forward.